0: Hello and welcome to another one of BCLA's podcasts. My name is Luke, the CEO of BCLA. Today's episode refers to some recent articles that we've seen published in BCLA's journal, Contact Lens and the Specifically, these focus on practice and care and use of contact lenses under the current coronavirus pandemic. The podcast is led by Neil Ritalik and Becky Hunyans. Neil is an optometrist and works at Medicon. He is joined by Biki, who is a Senior Lecturer at City University.
1: Thank you for joining us for this podcast today with Biki and myself, Neil, both of us members of the BCLA Council. What we'd love to talk about today is some of the recent publications that was done in Contact Lens Anterior Eye Journal, which has been dedicated to the topic of contact lens wear in COVID-19 times. Biki, where would you like to start today then on this topic?
0: Hi, Neil. Yes, there was this really interesting article by prominent contact lens researchers in Canada and Australia the usa and and the uk and they provided us with an overview of the current knowledge on contact lens wear during this pandemic and they highlighted how to minimize the risk of contact lens complications and really it's a wonderful article and, and if you have access to clay, please read it, but you know. What can eye care practitioners now actually learn from this article? So I I wanted to ask you, Neil, what did you think?
1: Well, the good news is there's no current evidence to suggest any increased risk for contracting COVID-19 through contact lens wear compared to spectacle wear, or there's no scientific evidence that wearing standard spectacles provide any protection against COVID-19 or other virus transmission either. Mm. So the great news here is, is that we can continue to wear contact lenses of course, the general advice is, if anyone's done well, that you would cease contact lenses for that period. There are some points to consider that the article brought up, that actually if we want to drive the best compliance, including hand washing, and we can also reduce modifiable risk factors, that might have some impact. And the other elements that I enjoyed in the article were talking about how the transmission may be different on different surfaces. Mm -hmm. So that allows us to consider, really, could there be a difference with different contact lens materials and modalities? At the moment, there is just no concrete evidence either way. The fourth is that it's got a very unlikely hood to transmit on a contact lens. But we do know on certain surfaces, such as cardboard, it can remain for up to 24 hours. on steel services for example stainless steel up to two to three days Mm. but speaking looking at just a slightly different aspect do we think that the risk through the tear film transmission is high or low and why
0: yeah that's a very good thing so you know related to the contact lens materials as you just mentioned but we also have to obviously look at the tears and and there is no evidence currently that the presence of the virus in the tears or the conjunctival tissue that this is actually happening in asymptomatic patients. And even in those who have confirmed cases of the disease, the presence of COVID-19 on the ocular surface is incredibly low. So as a result, binding of the virus to contact lenses from the ocular surface in asymptomatic wearers would be very unlikely. Actually, so knowing now a little bit more about how the material responds and how the tears responds, how do we summarize this all and translate this into clinical practice?
1: That's a great question there, Biki. And it gives us an opportunity, first of all, to discuss those good practice principles, such as Mm -hmm. the hand washing and drying. We know the importance of tap water not coming into contact with any lens. But what it also reminded me was We probably focus a lot on understanding compliance and handling reusable lenses because we're automatically thinking, are they cleaning them and storing them correctly? But actually, some compliance steps that you need to do even with daily disposables, such as that washing and drying hands and disposing of them correctly. With reusable lenses, it's also really important to promote the rub and rinse step. Now, what we know with contact lens solutions is is that they meet certain standards. Of course, there isn't a standard at the minute to test how efficient that solution is against COVID-19 and viruses. But the likelihood is it will kill lots of things that, say, viruses, et cetera, need to survive. Is there any other interesting points that you found in the article, Beaky?
0: Well, I mean, not necessarily related to the article, but I do think it's a very interesting point to make here that, you know, fitting contact lenses to those who are required to wear PPE. You know, I think it's now widely documented that spectacle lenses steam up as the surface tension causes water vapor droplets to attach to the cooler lens surface. And perhaps this is actually the moment to suggest contact lenses to your patients, uh, particularly if they're complaining of these uh, steamed up spectacles. And the BCLA has recognized this as well. And they have also updated their guidance and they're working on even more guidance on contact lens wear and coronavirus. And actually also in related to that, again, if you are going to suggest to your patients to have contact lenses fitted, particularly when you are suffering from your spectacles being steamed up, then how as eye care practitioners are you going to do that? Are you going to use, for example, gloves in contact lens practice if you're going to fit contact lenses? So I am sure a lot more guidance is also coming out and also actually in related to the the podcast that was released earlier about PPE in practice. Uh, Very interesting. So. I would say do ask your patients if they are required to wear goggles, for example, whether or not they wear these contact lenses or not. Obviously, these protective goggles as part of the PPE, they obviously still can steam up. So whether or not they're wearing contact lenses below or not. But if they're not need to wear these goggles, then I think it would be a really good idea to start, you know, suggesting contact lenses
1: to your patients. And that's a nice point, actually, because we might find that even though during COVID-19, some wearers reduce their contact lens use yeah. just because of lifestyle changes, they're at home and maybe working on the phone a lot or seem happy enough wearing their glasses rather than being out and about. But actually, now they're wearing the PPE and having that nuisance of steaming up, they may actually be wearing their contact lenses for longer periods than they yeah. were before. So checks are really useful to ensure that they've got the best lens to maximise their chance of contact lens success, for what their new demands are. You know, my favorite paper, though, that I read in this series was actually by Nagra and colleagues, and it was on the telehealth aspects of optometry. And I just loved it because it's looking towards the future. One of the things that I found interesting was, and I agree with them, that televideo calls and those sorts of devices are very good for triaging and for time posting people of things to go. But it also opens up that question as to, is technology good enough to do some of the other subtle of work that you would normally do in contact lenses, such as looking at very small detail in a slit lamp, such as maybe microsys, or looking at things against more opaque backgrounds. You've got some experience in that artificial intelligence. I know, Biki, from some of the things that I've listened to you present before. What are your thoughts on the future of contact lens practice and some of these various platforms?
0: Yeah, I mean, the platforms are amazing, and I, I really like the, the development of artificial and as well as automated intelligence. There's a clear difference between the two, but these platforms are exciting opportunities for us. There are numerous image analysis packages already available within imaging software, such as, for example, the OCT and topographers. However, We do have to acknowledge that users of these imaging techniques must be aware that there are algorithms that are used and they make many, many different assumptions. And often they don't have the access to the complete picture of the patient in front of you, right? It's just all based on the image itself and and there might not be enough information to make a, a very clear clinical decision on management. So for that reason, research needs to take place to validate these software outputs So, for example, we, as a user of these platforms, we must understand how repeatable and how accurate the results are as part of our clinical decision making. So there is still a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's super exciting that all of this will come out or is coming out, is being developed. It's not actually just on software development, it's also for apps and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very exciting and I guess, you know, there are different ways of, of, look, it's not just imaging. It's also how you, for example, grade your work in, in clinical practice.
1: So, Beaky, do you think that we're going to be replaced as clinicians with robots soon? Is the reproducibility and the accuracy there yet of the <laughs> technology?
0: Yeah, that would be something, right? So coming out of COVID and then we're all suddenly replaced by uh, robots. It's a very good question, to be honest, but I don't think that will happen anytime soon. It's really interesting that there is a large variation often observed between eye care practitioners. But on top of that, it really is also, you wonder how reliable is it to grade using, for example, a still image compared to viewing the eye dynamically through a slit lamp. So there is, all that variation is actually still not really clear. And also the artificial and automated intelligent platforms as they can be very useful, we also really need to understand how to interpret them. So I don't think the softwares are there yet, but you know they are developed and, and getting better every time.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that COVID-19 has shown us is, is actually how quickly technology can advance mm. because people are needing to use it. So I've got some friends who work in healthcare and they said video conference calling has been on the cards for the NHS for ages and been talked about and all of a sudden it's had to happen. And it'll be amazing to see some of the outcomes. And I think what it will be great to see is how it's improved efficiency by reducing Mm. some of that need for face-to-face, But I also do think as a clinician, there is value in face-to-face appointments too. And I know at the minute we can make use of video calls and use some of the forms that the College of Optometries and ABDO have provided us with as a template and a structure. Um, And then we also have the opportunity to do the face-to-face stuff when the needs arise too. So I think we'll take a bit of a blended approach moving forward, but we don't all need to invest in very heavy technology to be able to give that offering to our patients. Mm. But if you are interested more in artificial intelligence in contact lens practice, the good news is during the BCLA UK conference, which runs later this year, there's a whole session dedicated to the topic. So cool. tune in and you'll be able to learn more. Yeah. Also, if you're listening as a non-member, don't forget that if you want to get access to the journal, you get that included in BCLA membership. And we'd love to have you as part of our membership organisation. As a summary, things that I would like to just say is the papers that's given us an opportunity to revisit our contact customer journey and look at ways in how we engage with our patients, making more use of digital technology, maybe such as social media to cascade some of this information as we are focusing on reducing the amount of face-to-face contact time we're having. I also think it's given us a chance to think about what tests we do and the value of those tests. And maybe when we do do certain tests and when we don't. For example, I had that feeling at first of, do I do lid diversion? Is it an essential test? Do mm. I just do it on symptomatic patients? So I think it is good that it's making us think about what we do and reflect. Thank you, beki for chatting with me today. Yeah, great. Nice chat,
0: Neil. Thank you. One of the most popular benefits is the official journal of the BCLA, Contact Lens and Anterior Eye, covering all aspects of contact lens theory and practice. Available exclusively to all members of the BCLA, both online and via an app, or if you prefer, you can still receive a copy in the post. If you would like more information about the Clay Journal and membership benefits, visit bcla.org.uk or email us at membershipbcla.org.uk.